One, two, check. Check, check, one, two. Yeah. Oh, is bring this it a on. BC Boys thing? In no, this, no is this is just biscuit. generic, generic every, every concert I've ever the gone line? to. Yeah. No, no, mine was Limp Biscuit. <laughs> the line between Beastie Boys and Limp Biscuit is thinner than I like it to be. No, it's actually very huge because Beastie Boys. Uh-huh. Don't sound like Fred Durst. <laughs> wow. And I can only sound like Fred Durst. Because also, Fred unfortunately, Durst. the Beastie Boys never worked with Wes Borland, which That's would have true. been yeah. pretty rad, I think. Yeah. I So this church I used to go to on Wednesday nights uh, in high school would host like concerts for local like bands a lot. Oh, sure. And the I... The Beastie Boys play? No, but I was very involved in the youth group, so I would like volunteer to like help set up and like various other things. Oh right! And every every single band went through that routine of having the mic and being like check 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 one two check check and yeah, it, it's just yeah. Oh People my god! People don't know how to check just, mics. It's ridiculous. Core memory unlock. You ready? Okay. Um, same situation, okay? Check mm-hmm. one two, and this, checkity one two. This dude came up. Oh, check check one two, checkity check one two. Yeah, no, that one's bad. No, it was this guy. He came up, and he's just like, "All right, it's time for my mic check. Pop pop popsicles, ice ice icicles. <laughs> test test testing one two three. Oh my god, the rings of Saturn <laughs> mic check is better than that, unironically, because the rings that. of Saturn mic check is. Uh, meow, meow <laughs> says the cat. Meow says the dog. We're rings of Saturn. We're gonna play some songs for you. And then they just start playing their set. It was ridiculous. That's amazing. Welcome to Couchal Obsession, the only horror movie podcast hosted entirely by people who used to be "quote unquote" very involved in youth group. <laughs> Rings of Saturn was not very. Rings involved. of Saturn, no, but was not I in know that was facts. not where I saw them. Mm-hmm, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I know that part. Could I yeah, tell a the... quick story? Oh yeah, go for it. That I just you can even tell a long because story. Nina's trying to make it all about the youth. It's group. not youth group related. Damn, I was is actually really hoping related because it seems <laughs> no. like we've got one of two themes to choose from here. It's not I'm really interested in what related. I want to know what the secret third option is. Um, unrelated to anything we've talked about so far. <laughs> okay, go off. So, um, my last day at my job was last Tuesday and one Ooh. of my one of the last things I really did at my job was there was this like photo shoot for one of our kind of there was this photo shoot that we did that I didn't really know what it was for but I was invited to it for some reason and getting there I was invited to it like the morning of so I wasn't aware and I went to it because I thought it was important and I was supposed to go and everybody was dressed in like suits and very nice clothes and then I was in like an orange t-shirt oh no (laughs) but um today not even probably like an hour ago one of my old co-workers um who is also in the shoot was like you're in the Washington Post and you're having a Mike Wazowski moment and I was like, what do you mean? And they sent a picture and it's this picture that's I'm going to post it in the discord. Um, it's all of these people kind of sitting and standing around a table looking at 
a like invention and I'm in the background and my face is covered by somebody's yeah. arm. <laughs> and I love that. It's I'm also posting the Mike Wazowski reference as well for reference. But right. right. Um, oh, it's incredible. Nice. <laughs> Everyone else is so fully visible, except for you. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I was trying to largely be out of the way because I recognized I was underdressed because I, <laughs> I didn't know and nobody told me. Um, and so, for one, I think it's funny that I ended up in the picture anyway. And for two, yeah. my friend saying it was a Mike Wazowski moment was incredibly... <laughs> Uh, on the nose. That's, That's really so good. funny. Yeah. Nice. Speaking of things that are incredibly on the nose, I watched a I watched a movie recently. Yeah. Was, uh-huh. was it just you that watched the movie? It was. Yeah. <laughs> Alone. How on Alone. the nose? Well, about as on the nose as Nina's question just then. <laughs> Direct. So I watched. Uh, with Nina. Thank you. I watched Van Helsing, 2004, the one with huge jacked man in it. I he, loved that yeah. movie as a kid. I had it on I, DVD. Me too. Noah, yes. Noah owns a lot of videos on DVD that I kind of like question why. They mm-hmm. were a dollar. They, they cost a dollar. That's the reason. Yeah. That was I was scraping movie. together nickels and quarters, and I would buy a $1 movie every week as a treat to myself because there was a spark of joy in my life, and it was $1 movies. Yep. I wonder if my manager from that job ever thought that $1 once a week movie guy would be in his house attacked by his cat. Um, he didn't Probably. work there then. Never, not at all. No overlap with 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 the man. He had some overlap, but not when I was doing that. I see. I see. That was uh, other people. Um, but we did watch Van Helsing. We did watch Van and Helsing. And you loved Let it. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something about Van Helsing. The first twenty minutes of Van Helsing are so good. They're yeah. like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen levels of like this oh. is fun and I'm having a good time watching it. Okay, so no, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stupid, before it gets bogged just... down in itself. Right. Yeah. It's very stupid, but it is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's how I remember it being. Uh, it gets but that's the first twenty minutes. That's sure. the first like while of it. The um, full black and white high art intro segment with Dracula and Frankenstein. Oh, that's so dorky. I loved that. Um, uh, everything looked so good. So the set piece was gorgeous. And then we fast forward to Van Helsing tracking down um, Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, yeah, I forgot Jack and Hyde. Okay, so speaking of of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, so Jekyll and Hyde are characters in both. Right. And then the actor that plays the twist villain in League is also Dracula in Van Helsing. Oh, my God, no. He's the villain in both movies. He happens to have a very weird typecast. I've got to find this. (laughs) <laughs> I promise you cross my heart and hope to fucking die okay another thing that both these movies have in common is that both of them have the uh, have one girl characteritis um, mm. the brides are fun in Van Helsing so I'll give them that but there's like one girl main character um, and I like Mina Harker in League I think she's fun uh, I think that having her instead of her husband is hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but 
in Van Helsing, it's the most egregious case of 2000s lead, like strong female lead I have ever seen. She's insufferable. Her motivations change on a whim. She is one of the poorest written female characters I have witnessed in ages. And her outfit looks like shit. Her outfit looks like shit. It's like sex appeal first, everything else second. But she's supposed to be strong. So like she's also just kind of the worst okay so we're gonna do a misogynist noah moment okay Uh hear me out here Uh oh i i might she is so incompetent and poorly written as a character in the movie that as hot as she is she is not hot enough to be as incompetent in the movie as she is no i agree she is not she is very very attractive yes but she is not attractive enough for me to like her character in spite of all the bullshit it's it's rough. They literally, you can tell they sat down and wrote one page about her fully. Her brother that, is it, more compelling and he's only there for half the time. They have the same backstory and somehow they write him way better. And it's because <gasps> they see him as a person and yeah. they see her as yeah. oh, it's, an object. It's, it's so, so obvious. It's, it's disgusting. Man, but then like there's a book and a half of clearly thought out Van Helsing lore. Oh, it's so funny. they just don't talk about. Like, if you were to tell me at the end of this movie that Van Helsing is supposed to be Cain from the Bible, I wouldn't even be surprised because all the stuff that they're like, oh, don't you remember fighting the Persians a thousand years ago? (laughs) Yeah. That he he and Dracula do is just like, I don't know if this is based on a comic adaptation. It feels like it is. Um, But, like, 2000s movies did this thing where if there was a lot of lore behind whatever story they were telling, they just would simply not tell it. Lara Croft, the movie, did this as well. Underworld does this. Resident Evil does this. They're all like, there's a lot of shit to like uncover, but they really assume that you either know most of it or that it's cooler to not tell you most of it. So they uncover bullshit. They're like, oh my God, a werewolf has to kill Dracula. And they're like, oh, they're like, a werewolf has to kill Dracula, obviously. And it's like, oh. Uh, <laughs> I what did I think of that? What is it, babe? This is an original property that is just based on Dracula by Bram Stoker, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, and The Wolfman by George Wagner. Okay, oh my God. This so is a fully original now, conglomeration. Now, now hold on just a second. Did. I'm looking at this uh, Richard Roxburgh's uh, yes, IMDb. Yes, The man who does was, like two things. Not only was he in both The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Van Helsing, which are the same movie essentially, but he did them literally fucking back to back. Yeah. What, what kind of, how did he get that? There was nothing between these for him. Did he just go from one set to the next? Like, all right, I'll just do it again now. I'll do it again, this time with an accent. I guess I'm Dracula in this one. Whatever. It doesn't make a difference because it's the same goddamn movie. It's the same like, fucking movie. And this okay, was let me right tell you- after he was Sherlock Holmes. Yes. No, what, he what, what literally was like the king of shitty, like, steampunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little known king of shitty steampunk. Okay, I have one last thing I want to say about Van Helsing, okay. and then I have a question for Emma. Okay, there is a final battle between Van Helsing, who has been turned into a werewolf, <laughs> and Dracula, who can turn into a bat. The way that they do this, despite the fact that I know that at least I know that Dracula can talk in beast form. The way that they do this is while they are fighting in beast form, they will pause every few minutes to turn back into humans to have a conversation. 
conversation and then they will read and the the werewolf transformation is one of the cooler parts of the movie because he's like they like their skin like sloughs off when they transform like in wolf and it cop. looks very it looks very painful yeah no similar to wolf cop um so like i know at least that one's very painful dracula's looks a little more like effortless but it still takes valuable fighting time and they're just every once in a while dracula will like turn into his human form and be like we could be brothers side by side and (laughs) you jackman (laughs) on werewolves to be like i would never join you and then they both transform back into the thing what kind of anime fight shit is this (laughs) exactly it's, it's it's something um anyway emma i have a question for you about this movie okay i'll try it's been a long time since i've watched it i it's mostly just um what do you remember about it if it's been a long time and it was like one of your favorite movies like what are things i don't know that i would say it was one of my favorites yeah that's a big word okay one that you watched a lot as a kid because i know there are (laughs) movies that i like chitty chitty bang bang i watched constantly as a kid and i know there are lines that are Uh not standout lines to me now that like I were ingrained in my skull as a kid for some fucking reason. Like yeah. um, I could I could quote several to you right now, but I won't. Yeah. Um. I so when you mentioned the Jackal and Hyde scene, I remembered that, but I did not remember that initially. Um, I remember. Neither did I. <laughs> I remember um that Hugh Jackman plays Van Helsing. Of course. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a scene in like the basement of a cathedral mm-hmm. towards the beginning. Yeah. And that's about it. That's valid. Um, <laughs> I remember steampunk Frankenstein being kind of cool. He was. I really wish I they would have let him. I don't remember Frankenstein at all. I don't remember Jekyll and Hyde being in there. It's you just talk about Jekyll and Hyde being beginning. in there, and I'm imagining Jekyll and Hyde from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, you might look, as well be. He looks exactly like him, it's except functionally oh. identical. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen has like practical hide arms, and you can tell because mm. they never bend. Yeah, uh, and, and this then guy this was one's all entirely CG, CG. because yeah. it's 2004 now. They did so, go like fairly practical on Steampunk Frankenstein, though, didn't they? They did. No, he looks yeah. great. Um, I have a little bit of beef with steampunk Frankenstein because I am a huge fan of Frankenstein and many adaptations of it. Um, and one thing that I love that a lot of Frankenstein for like the thing about public domain work is that fan fiction turns into like retellings that are like able to be published. So one of my favorite things that is fanon we shall say for mm-hmm. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is that if the monster were given a chance to name himself, he would name himself Adam after the first human to be created. Right. Everyone has pretty much agreed that that is what he would name himself in Van Helsing 2004. He is in a basement and has access to a Bible and they still just call him the creature and it for the entire runtime that he's there. I, it frustrates me so much. Just literally let the man name himself. Yeah. Like, please. Especially because, like, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. His whole shtick is, like, feeling wronged that everyone hates him for no reason, right? Yeah. yeah. And so... quote, he will, like, quote the Bible. So, like, he's, he's read it. he's quoting the Bible. <laughs> so like... wouldn't, it, wouldn't it feel appropriate for a part of that arc being, like, 
for him to assert his personhood by insisting that everyone call him by a name, perhaps? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. So two missed opportunities are if, if, if Adam gives himself a biblical name, then we can have a conversation between character who's given himself a biblical name and character who might be a biblical angel, maybe question mark Van Helsing, mm. um, where maybe the two of them can like talk about it or maybe it like cracks some of Van Helsing's amnesia, but no. And then another missed opportunity is Van Helsing's whole turning into a werewolf, having to hold back the beast, kill me if I go too far thing is very compelling. I always love a kill me if I go too far like arc for a hero. Very good. I think it's um, try hard usually, but okay. It, it, I, oh, it's always try hard. I, it's, oh, okay, it's a guilty okay. pleasure for Feature me. not a bug. I'm right. not, <laughs> I, I love it very, very much. Right, we're talking about um, Van Helsing here. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> right. Um, so, but then we have the, the female lead whose brother turned into a werewolf and had to be killed by Van Helsing. And there's this constant back and forth about monsters and men and human life and all this aspect. And honestly, I think my biggest beef is it would be very, very easy to write a compelling romance between woman whose brother turned into a werewolf and had to be killed and man who's like, kill me if I turn into a werewolf. Like, why was that? Why was it such a badly written romance? It's so easy. I could write that shit in my sleep and I could role play that in D&D with no heads up. And they literally could not even write it into this script. Well, I mean, it's, me it's probably because the script was getting worked on at the same time as League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because somebody heard that they were making a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie <laughs> and said, hey, do you think we could maybe copy off of that or something? That What if we did the same thing? What if we just did the same thing the next year? We just, you know, it's the same we thing. wait six months and we put the movie out again. We take a bunch time. of different, a bunch of different Victorian stories and then one of the same ones. Yeah, two of the same ones, actually. <laughs> two of the same. Oh, yeah, because we took Jekyll and Hyde and Dracula. And also, yeah. And then we took two different ones. Uh, Frankenstein, yeah, who we'll isn't there. Yeah, we'll just ignore Captain Nemo, bring in Frankenstein instead. And <laughs> So true. And then we just go for Yeah, no. The t- terrible movie. Am I glad I watched it? Yeah. Oh, I'm no. so, I'm so, hey, I had a good time. <laughs> I'm glad that I remembered that Dracula employs a bunch of gremlins in <gasps> big chunky suits. Yeah, um, the followers of mine on Twitter will know that I said I want to be a member of Dracula's goon squad because they have the coolest outfit, and they I like stand gas by mask, that. J- gas mask, gas mask, mask. Um, what Jawas? That's what they are. <laughs> They're steampunk Jawas. Yeah, as if Jawas weren't steampunk enough. They're close they are, already. Yeah, they are the steampunks, really. Yeah, when you think about it. They, they're always, you know, when you watch Lord, when you watch fucking <laughs> Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. Yeah, when you're watching Lord of the Rings and the Jawas show up, they're all like, we love the steam. Yeah, that'll it's, be where the theme be. music kicks in after I say the steam. Okay. <laughs> Yahoo! Welcome back to Casual Obsession, the horror movie podcast where we talk about horror movies. Lord of the Rings, not a horror movie. No. But that's just an opinion from me, the... your host, Noah. What about an opinion from uh, other host, Emma? Uh, hi, I'm other host, Emma. Um, the Ringwraiths were terrifying to me Ooh. as a child mm, and okay. were literally the embodiment of evil in my imagination for much of my teen years. 
That's very smart. Okay. Uh, Nina, other host, uh, care to rebut? Um, I can uh, reinforce. I can't rebut. Um, when... It's actually refute, not rebut. I don't know why you would say that. Your time has passed. Um, ceding okay. it to Jeff, All other right. host. You guys don't get to hear my ring story, I guess. I do feel like it's relevant to consider the fact that Peter Jackson was mostly known for cheap horror movies before having done Lord of the Rings. And I think that shows through in a lot of aspects of it. It really does. Though I wouldn't call Lord of the Rings a horror movie. Um, um, Nina, Ring Wraith story. Oh, okay. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I used to practice piano in the basement, and then the basement had a television, but they only played what was being played on the upstairs television. Um, or it had, like, a channel setting that it would play from the same, like, whatever box they were watching from it was hooked up so um they were watching my parents were watching lord of the rings upstairs and i was supposed to be practicing piano but you could hear when someone was practicing piano so what i was doing was i was on the piano and then i would like turn around and watch lord of the rings on the basement tv and eventually i full full stop forgot to pretend to be practicing i was like glued to the fucking television and it's the scene (laughs) where they're in the inn and like the ring rays are gonna like stab into the hobbits beds and Mm. like there's there's like shit going everywhere and my parents (laughs) snuck up on me and so the ring rays go to stab and my parents are like what i was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny nice they got me good man i i will think about that always so the ring rays already i was like literally like biting my nails right. scared of the ring wraiths and then they fucking got me because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was too young to be watching it they didn't allow me like i was like oh. they were like this is too scary for little nina right right also um further evidence for it being a horror movie or horror adjacent um the bilbo jump scare where he like oh my God, snatches that's so for the ring yeah that got terrifying me. um and then also galadriel being all spooky and green. You mean hot? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was really scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. I so think many Bilbo scary Face things. was the only one that really got me. Bilbo mm-hmm. Face was bad. Also, um, Big this, Spider, no thank you. The scene where they're hiding under the tree roots and the ring rays are like right there. I think that's the actual ring wraith one that like actually got me. And then everything like else was just like carrying carrying that forward yeah yeah i like when the ring wraith just goes schneef schneef right over their head yeah but he's mm-hmm. c- congested so he can't smell the <laughs> bounty of uh mushrooms and carrots they have on them oh he can smell his worms farmer maggot can smell it but you know not the ring wraiths farmer maggot was really Farming a character maggots, apparently apparently Honestly, okay, one last detour before I talk about the real movie. <laughs> I love how we have in a real the book, movie this week. <laughs> Farmer Maggot is like an actual honest-to-God like character that appears for a second. Yeah. And he is actually really friendly, but it's also very clear that he knows that they sneak onto his property to steal his food. Oh, yeah. And... It's very old man who knows kids are messing with him. Oh, no, I'll be very polite to them. And then as they are about to leave, say, and don't go sneaking in here anymore. <laughs> or, like, pretend to be stupid and then be like, and, and and also, 
Mm-hmm. Like, can you everything. steal the zucchini? I have way too much zucchini. Take that instead. Everybody always has too much zucchini, maggot. You I'm just not gotta even plant planning less it of it. <laughs> <laughs> Me planting one zucchini plant. Oh, God, I'll never recover. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, welcome to, to Casual Obsession. We've hey, already hey, said that, but welcome I said again. that already. Welcome again. To I, had a, the... I had a segue plan saying, you know what else I'll never recover from? But then you had to say Sorry, welcome to Casual, Casual Obsession, Obsession three the, the horror times. movie podcast That's where we talk about recover from is Lord of the starting Rings. this podcast. <laughs> so true. Many people are saying this. this welcome week to Casual we watched... Obsession. Oh my God. <laughs> Emma doesn't have her camera on today, so I know in my heart Emma's shitting there, shitting there. God, is sitting there. How'd you know uh, I'm on the toilet? Too. Emma's sitting there with this shit-eating grin on her face, waiting to slip that one in, waiting for me to go. Okay, now I'm gonna try. Nope, nope. Welcome to Casual Obsession. We watched the Babadook this week. Yeah. Oh right. <laughs> the Babadook. Everyone's. Everyone's favorite uh, gay icon puts the B in LGBT. It's so the true. Bi people aren't real. No, you're Babadook. B stands for Babadook. Yeah. <laughs> if you're bi, I, no, I you're not. Like, you're a Babadook. <laughs> I feel like I am very Babadook coded, so that's fair. God, Nina, real yeah. people can't be Babadook coded, okay? You're just a Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. Nina. Thank you. You do have uh, this the is a movie, even, don't you? I, Noah has the hat, actually. Yeah, oh, I Noah's do. got the Babadook I, I have hat. a very similar to the Babadook hat. Hold on, I gotta grab it. I like this hat, but it's definitely too uh, steep. Oh, I get to wear the Babadook hat. Okay. Yeah, you're the Babadook. It doesn't fit on my head with the headphones, but it can just perch there now while I try and talk. Perfect. <laughs> get in front of the microphone again. So anyway, this movie is... Uh, this is a movie about I, a... Hold on, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you here. Uh, I need our listeners to understand this hat that Noah's wearing, uh, the way that it perches on top of his headphones makes it look like it's even more comically large than it is because it's already huge <laughs> just to be able to fit on his giant head. And the way that it's sitting right now makes it look even bigger and it's absurd. I wish you could all see it. Uh, join the Discord and yeah, you'll be the, able the to. Yeah, see the picture that Nina just took of it. <laughs> Yep, here I am. I, see, I thought someone was going to screenshot the call, but no, Nina definitely took like a very unflattering photo of me. <laughs> you look cute. Oh, it is just a screenshot of the call. This is fine. Um, anyway, the Babadook. The Babadook. <laughs> the hat just fell. The hat fell. The <laughs> second hat has fallen. No. <laughs> all right. This is a movie. All right. It's a movie about a woman whose husband dies in a car accident. While they are on the way to the hospital to give birth to her son. And she's seven years later, never recovers. That is our spoiler-free synopsis. Anyway, uh, Noah, you got your ratings on that? Why, I sure do there, y'all. Thanks for asking. IMDB, we got ourselves a 6.8. Rotten Tomatoes, with our highest score in a very long time, uh-huh. 98%. Hot damn. Whoa. Ooh. I know, it's, it's a biggie. Uh, Metacritic with an 86%. Still and good. Letterboxd with a 3.4. Not bad. Out of 5. Mm-hmm. Twitter Brandon, I, he didn't... It's hard for me to find any good quotes from him on this because it's all... All the posts I found were him retweeting um, prompt threads on Twitter from accounts that are no longer existent. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So there's not a lot of context to why he's naming the Babadook in like a thread of 10 movies. Hmm. Well, it sure I is one it, of 10 movies. I think some of them, I'm pretty sure, was a thread of top 10 movies per year or 10 favorite movies a year, something like that, because the Babadook was on uh, the 2014 section of a larger list. Oh my and God. that's my main takeaway. Okay, my main takeaway is what the hell, this movie came out in 2014? Yeah. yeah. I well, actually that's had a whole ten moment. years ago. I I had a whole moment realizing I watched this movie when it came out. Yeah, I I I'm pretty sure I remember watching it when it was like fairly new, not like just out, but like still. It was new. Netflix new. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I guess I just forget when I started watching horror movies. I always think it was later than it actually was. Mm hmm. No, uh, big mood. I know I didn't watch horror movies before 2012, really, but I know I really picked up after that point, and that's about all I know. Yeah. Yeah, I thought for sure this I... movie came out in, like, 2016. Jesus. Nope. I know it's only a two-year difference, but, like, still. It's a big two-year difference. It still it's feels a big it. two years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where are you saying? I never watched The Babadook. Uh, me neither. Not until now. And I, was I about know to say, that... have you now? Because... <laughs> I was yes. aware of... It, when it came out like that was not quite in the Nina watches horror movies era and it wasn't mm -hmm. it was a little later than the Nina reads horror movie synopsis uh, era on uh, like Wikipedia era um, right, right, right. so it was like right in that sweet spot where I kind of knew what the vibes of the movie were and I knew that it was I heard it was good um, and then I did not watch it and I just never watched it I started. I literally started watching horror movies the next year because uh, mm -hmm. when? Wait, when did the visit come out? I think the visit was twenty sixteen, maybe twenty seventeen. It was twenty fifteen because it was my Damn freshman it. year. I think I saw it with my freshman friends. Yep, twenty fifteen. So yeah, literally the next year I started actually paying attention to horror and watching wow. it. So this was like right in the Nina misses it era. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I heard. I've heard a lot about it over the years. Right. Um, a lot of talk about but, it. But, yeah, i just never seen it. Huh. Wow. I have not watched it since the first time that I watched it up until this week. So there was uh, a lot that I didn't remember. Mm -hmm. But we can get to that when we enter the spoiler section. I'm very excited. So what did you all think of it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is my first time watching it. Uh, obviously, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. It was um, a better version of what I expected it to be. Uh. Um, because how I have heard a lot about this movie, I know what the main themes are. The main themes were riffed on in not the most recent Scream movie, but the Scream movie before that. There's a whole segment of Jenna Ortega's character talking about elevated horror. And oh. Babadook is the example she gives mm -hmm. um and she talks about how like what it's a metaphor for so i knew all of that and then so in my head the movie it is is ouija origin of evil <laughs> but with two characters <laughs> like and and that's not entirely incorrect like there's a lot of similarities but this movie just does everything a lot better um and i really really liked it that being said it is a fucking bummer uh, it's a yeah. bummer of it's a movie. It's not fun. Not at all. No. no. There, it has fun moments, but it is a constant downer. And because of that, it's an eight and not any higher for me. It could have been higher, but I take points off for bumming me out. That's fair, yeah. I think. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
Um, my rating was leaked, so I'll go next. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyone in the podcast server can uh, see all kinds of stuff right now. <laughs> if you want to see ratings leaks, uh, <laughs> join our Discord join, server. Join the Discord server. Uh, but I'm a I'm a seven out of ten. It's the same rating I gave it back in 2014. It's the rating I'm sticking now. 2014 Noah didn't get it and oh, was sure. like, oh, this movie's fine. Seven out of ten. Um, 2023 Noah, as an adult with more to lose in life, is like, <laughs> I fucking hate this movie. This was a goddamn miserable experience, and I don't like to think about it. Yeah. Uh, but mm. it was well made. But because it actually made me very unhappy, uh, it loses a couple of points. <laughs> so sevens for different reasons. Yep. This is a seven compliment. Uh, seven complimentary should be an eight, maybe. Last time was a, yeah, I guess it's a seven. Well, but you're kind of yeah. both taking points off for the fact that you were incapable of having fun while watching it. So it kind of sounds like same reasons to me. Oh, for us, yeah. For Noah was, and past Noah, different. Yeah, oh, I was oh, talking okay. about yeah, present bad, Noah bad. and past Noah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for Noah who watched this, uh, this movie over the course of, it was either over the course of two nights on my laptop or in one go pausing frequently because I was listening with headphones and this movie is a little um, oppressive in its sound design. Mm -hmm. And I mean mm -hmm. that in a good way. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're listening with both headphones in, it's a lot. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. It's, I want to talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah, that's me. Um, it's about y'all. I think that I am going to give it an eight because there's something about the number seven that feels too low and i really do love essie davis's performance in this and i feel like that deserves a really good rating mm -hmm. but uh, matching the tone of the room this movie is not a fun watch i i was not having a good time watching it uh and i expect at some point in the future when i end up watching it again i probably won't have fun then either Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's like that like hereditary thing it's like it wrecks you the whole time but it's so well done you mm -hmm. can't get away mm -hmm. from that so yeah i'm saying eight makes sense um i enjoyed the movie uh it's the first movie in a while i was watching it at night and like i paused it as things were starting to get scary and like did some other stuff mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm came back and I was like I can either finish this now and because I'm I'm currently packing and I'm like going to Canada soon right, and like yeah. getting rid of a bunch of stuff so it's like I can either either finish this now so that tomorrow is solely focused on like packing and things or I can go to bed and watch it in the morning and it's the first horror movie in a while that I was like I don't want to watch this at night um mm -hmm. and that, it's a big fear of the dark movie, even though that's not the gimmick yeah, it's trying it to play at. It doesn't lean on that at all, but it does do it, actually. I think that yeah. it's in you don't want to be alone with your thoughts after the themes in this movie kind of thing, because it really brings it says a lot of like one liners without resolving them that could really stick in your head if you're not careful. Uh, that's cool, elevated horror enjoyer. I, on the other hand, like a normal person, <laughs> no, get freaked just, out when I hear a noise near my chair. I just just think it's scary i think it's a it's like just a scary line to there's a line in the movie where the kid's like uh she's like um 
I'm not going to die. Like, you don't have to worry about that. And the kid's like, is that what you thought what before dad died as well? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> God, shit. Yeah, yeah, cool. Existential fear. I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why? You know? Yeah, but I enjoyed the movie. There's a lot of, like, little details and things that I found super interesting and I'm excited to, like, talk about and yeah. potentially point out or maybe you already know about these things but um thought it was really interesting it was definitely creepy and i enjoyed it i'm gonna give it like a 8.2 i think yeah okay i think that's super fair yeah now we got some content warnings on this bad boy yeah this one's got some (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's heavy grief tackled in this significant we got there's uh there is child abuse. There is. Not like physical, but it's definitely a little there physical. Is some physical. I just realized as I said that out loud. Because yep, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there's a you know, emotional, there's a neglect, there's child endangerment. We got a dead and dog. We got a dead dog. We got a dog very dead dog on screen as well. Yeah, it's not you even actually like do see the whole thing. And then you see the corpse or something. Like you watch it happen the whole time. Yeah. Just as yeah. a warning. We got some self-mutilation. She pulls out some teeth. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that part I was so uncomfortable. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, that, like that it's part. It's rough. She's incredible. Uh, this is just a, a thing about me. Um, teeth stuff doesn't bug me like fingernail and hand stuff does. Sure. And I love the sound effects they use when people are getting their teeth yanked. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. those sounds. They're, like, so nasty and crunchy. Horrible. They are. Um, uh, also... Man, it, it the first part of this movie can be a little hard to watch mm-hmm. if first part. you don't like kids. Yeah. Yeah, like, it was free birth oh, you mean control like the first two 40 thirds. minutes straight. Yeah, yeah. The thir- like the I'd say like 35 to 40 minutes. Movie. <laughs> there, is, mm-hmm. there is a switch flip moment in this movie where our wonderful Sam turns into our wonderful Sam and stops being that fucking Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, for me, at least. And it's so good that you do forget about the first half of the movie by the time you end it. Or at the very least, you understand him. And like the whole at no point did I actually genuinely hate this child. No, no. the whole time I'm like, he is going through it. He's like, I feel bad for both of them and their circumstances. And I see how they are where they are. Mm -hmm. And because of that even though he is the most annoying child. It's not because it's a bad kid actor or anything. No, it's he's because good. he's that's the character. The character he, is a child who's acting important, out. He was actually six years old actually when they shot this movie. Actually six years old, yeah. An what actual child. What the actual oh, wow. He did an amazing job. six years old. Wow. Yeah. He um, hasn't done any other movies since. So uh, there's a part him. of me Honestly, that good. hopes that he never does good another movie yeah. and uh, lets himself live and grow up to be a normal person. Yeah, I hope I this never one but I would love to see him act. This one and the kid from The Shining are both mm. like maybe two of my top child performances in horror, like hands down. Um, Noah does not have this noted. There is also vomit. Uh, just oh, as a heads yeah, up. Yeah, I for- oh, yeah. I was at the end of the movie by then. That's four pages from here. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there is that as well. Just as a heads up. Um, oh, and I know that we've content warned this in the past, but like uh, delusions and reality. Yeah, I was about stuff, to say there's like a, sort of a sort of a uh, loss of sanity arc running through parts of the movie that uh, mm-hmm. might bother. If you're sensitive to that, yeah, 
and th- yeah, that's I think, and there's a lot of existential stuff. So oh, geez, I would yeah. just say in general, it's a tough when we one. say heavy, <laughs> when we say heavy grief, I mean like if you feel like you're in a vulnerable spot and you're susceptible to messaging like that, don't watch this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you feel like you can handle it, it um, it's, it's good. It's you it's know, it really good. I will say it, well, like. I love when there are movies like this that it's like, hey, don't watch this if you're like blah, 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 that aren't movies like fucking Serbian film. Like, it's nice to be able to say, hey, maybe don't watch this about a movie that is good and actually good, that it's like, it's just actually good and that's why you might not want to watch it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're you're a little too raw to experience something that's so true to your own kind of lived experience. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. But, you know, earlier, we mentioned that this was um, wait, a very wait, scary wait, 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 wait. movie. I have another right? trigger warning. Oh. Erase that, Jeff. Beep, beep. Yeah, we'll cut that. We'll cut that. <laughs> yeah, it's we, gone. It's out. Uh, does we anyone talked... have any other trigger warnings? <laughs> we talked about um, abuse. But there's like one specific kind of abuse that I want to specifically give a shout out to and oh. forced medication or like yeah. forced drugs. Mm, yeah. Um, shout out to drugging your kids. Yeah. It's rough. What, Noah? It's just that smirk on Jeff's face because the use of the yeah, term it's, it's, shout it's, out was very funny to me. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Shout out to my favorite kind of child abuse, drugging your kids. <laughs> In the meantime, would you like to donate to breast cancer? <laughs> Do you mean okay. awareness? Right. Anything else? Say awareness. Content <laughs> Honestly, miscommunications can be pretty scary. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm, I, I am actually going to give one other trigger warning. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And this is related to something I'm going to talk more about after the spoiler or in the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. Um, but the man in the hat is a very common sleep paralysis demon phenomenon oh, that yep. a lot oh, of people experience. Man. Yeah. Um, Everyone loves the Benadryl hat man. This is definitely a homage to that story, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very similar in vibes. So if you have experiences with that or if it just freaks you out, just know that that that's a thing in Mm. this. You know, what's really scary is jumping the gun three times. And (laughs) it just makes me think, what other things are scary? Great segue, Noah. Well, thank you. Since um, you think it's so great, are there things you think are scary, Emma? <laughs> yeah, so I think this movie is actually pretty creepy. Um, I think, like people have said, it's kind of an emotional slog to get through, and it's a bit hard to watch um, for a variety of reasons. But I think discomfort while watching a movie isn't necessarily... Doesn't necessarily equate to scary. True. Um, but the scary level of this movie, and when it does have its scares, it is really creepy. And I was mm-hmm. uh, creeped out um, the the couple times that it really does kind of like pull everything out. Um, so I'm gonna give it like a six or a seven. Ooh. Hmm. Which is like the highest I've given in quite a while. Yeah, I, I was about so, to say yeah. that's the highest nice. in recent memory for sure. This is yeah, and I fully feel it. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um before we go f- into the spoiler discussion on the on the on the topic of scary rating, um I know that this movie has some detractors and I do want to put it out there to those detractors. I think that if you don't buy into this movie, I can see why you would think it's maybe like not as deep or gimmick or more gimmicky than oh for like, the entire last 10 years i've i swear at least once a week seen somebody posting somewhere about how they think the babadook is incredibly overrated and a bad and yeah. stupid movie i've seen tons and I, of people say this i would be 100 percent honest well i don't agree with that and i think that this movie does what like things like insidious and ouija and a lot of other movies that think they're doing something like this this movie is actually doing it and i think i i like how straightforward and yet like accurate its representation of its metaphor is i can totally Mm -hmm. understand why someone would be like this is a silly way to do this metaphor and i don't buy it so if you're out there you're listening to this and that was your take on this movie i get it i disagree but i get it i feel like half of the time people are putting arguments together that are like that well thought out and maybe expressed that eloquently literally the entire other half they're all just like the kid was so annoying i didn't get what happened at the end and that's like the the extent yeah and then it's like you're invalid actually movie right dude this is your problem actually (laughs) you can actually buy into that's like a whole like horror discussion to have you can buy but like you can buy into things and i would argue that it's not cool to be cynical and not buy into movies that are trying to like open their arms to you and invite you into their space and you're like actually i'm too cool to engage with you i mean especially a movie like this which wears its themes like on its face and it's just like hey this is a movie about grief and how it affects you and your family and those around you the movie has like i thought it was i thought it was pretty ridiculous that the babadook had grief tattooed on his forehead (laughs) oh my fucking god (laughs) it was honestly it's kind of embarrassing and when he came into the room and kicked the door down and said i'm not gonna talk about my feelings no you know Yeah, it's like the, the, it is almost that overt though, actually, because the movie has made its thesis statement really plainly, like five different times before the horror movie Mm -hmm. actually starts. Yeah. And I I don't know. I think that this is a, you know, Scream made fun of this as being the beginning of the elevated horror train. But I really feel like the unfortunate part about the way some elevated horror stuff went is this made its statement and then followed through with it while uh, some other elevated stuff is actually just confusing. Sometimes elevated horror will say, this is my theme. Okay, I did my theme time to just be a fun, doofy horror movie. And it's like, no, you actually have to like follow through. You actually have to like write a coherent like narrative to support this... your theme. You can't just yeah this like insidious being like this is about child abuse and trauma, and then it's <laughs> and it's like, but what if the goat hoofed red lipstick man was actually the devil? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the red door. Anyway, let's do our um... uh, spoiler section God, I just... after Jeff. I I hate the term elevated horror. Oh, you're so And it's because of exactly this discussion that we're having here where it's like people think that it's done differently than any other kind of horror movie. Well, no, it's just a slow burn with a point that it's making. That's not a different genre of horror movie. That's just a slow-paced horror movie. Hereditary and Black Coat's Daughter. Everything has Both can fall under uh, elevated. Everything is saying something. Yeah. 
It's just whether or not you're saying it well. Yeah. And both Fre- Nightmare 3 and The Babadook are saying something and say it well, despite one of them being a slow burn yeah. and the other being Nightmare exactly. 3. Welcome to primetime, bitch. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah. yeah, this is a discussion that happened on Twitter recently about people categorizing horror based on preconceived stereotypes of storytelling because someone was like, here's some cozy horror. And it was just like more feminine. There were like more, there were female main characters. There was more like slower scenarios and like, and settings and stuff versus like slashers, which are masculine horror. I would or like to put a pin in this Mm -hmm. because we could have an entire podcast discussing the cozy horror thing okay and you're so true that's so correct punk or whatever the fuck they decided to go off yeah i've got no idea what all it actually actively heavily pissed me off okay and i I, I don't want to get like to talk about this movie now because that's so fair at a later time or something i would love to but like as an aside here i'm just gonna get wound up and not be able to talk about it and i would like to talk about the babadook a little yeah i I know yeah no that's why we're here discussion to me friday the 13th is cozy horror like that's just you pop it on and you're having a good time that's is that not what (laughs) cozy horror is um let's not get into author's note jeff means friday the 13th part three and not part one i mean every friday the 13th movie they're just all good time movies for me i can cut anyway, this though Baba since Duke we're spoiler. not having that discussion Baba Duke spoiler. <laughs> Baba Duke spoilers we open up with a car wreck it's big it's messy and as the car wreck reaches it's like conclusion of headlights coming at you kind of thing suddenly our main character is dropped into bed it was a nightmare it was um, almost seven full years ago, I believe we we're within like three days of the seven year anniversary of her husband's death in this nasty accident. And her son wakes her up. It's time to go to school. It's time to do this, that, and the other thing. And he's, or no, no, he had a nightmare. So she goes, she checks under his bed. She checks in the closet. She reads him another good, uh, another like good night story. And this, it would seem has been their, uh, their pattern for the last week or so. Neither of them are sleeping well, and they're both getting more irritable because of it. He ends up acting up at school, causing her to not be able to work, you know, like her full day at work because she has to go take him out because he brought a weapon to school because he's going to go kill the monster that's after him. He's just, they are not as a family having a good time. <laughs> and that night, um, after having a large argument with the people at the school where she ends up pulling him from school because she's going to go try and take him somewhere else that they're actually going to care more about him because they just kind of want to put him in isolation and, uh, have a single person teaching him. The, the book that he decides to have her read to him that night is called Mr. Babadook. And Mr. Babadook is a pop-up book, but it's the world's scariest and simultaneously coolest pop-up book yeah. about Mr. Babadook. And you'll know when he's coming because on the door you hear ba 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 duk 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 And he wants you to let him in. Obviously, the kid who is already afraid of everything is not having a good time at the pop-up book of the Babadook looming over a child in bed. He's like, Mom, what happens? Does he get the kid? What happens? Is he going to hurt him? And it, you know, hard cuts to him screaming and crying while she tries to read him a different bedtime story that is a normal bedtime story. You know, over the next few days, it's really just not going great for them. They hang out with uh, Amelia's sister and her child, and they kind of fight a little bit. It's not really going great. He uh, climbs, Sam climbs to the top of a swing set and falls off. 
and hurts himself because, of course, that's kind of what happens. And this is just like, it's really not helping Amelia. And she starts telling everyone that he was sick and that's why she was late for work. That's why she's late to meet people. This, that, the other thing, which, you know, what they say about lying. Uh, liars go to hell, Revelation 21.8, oh, as that, we all know. It does say that, yeah. Speaking of youth it does group say from that. the opening of the episode here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's called a callback. Um, <laughs> God, what a stupid-ass song that, that they used to sing. Anyway, yeah. fuck, sorry. <laughs> Derailed myself. Uh, Sam is convinced that the Babadook is a real physical person who is in their house trying to scare him. And this is making everyone uncomfortable because, yeah, all kids have imaginary friends and are afraid of imaginary monsters. However, as Amelia says to the doctor that she ends up finally taking him to, she's like, yeah, but like, not like this. This is way worse than normal. I don't know what's happening. Can you please give him drugs so that he stops talking about this? Can you please sedate my child? While um, she waits for him to get recommended to like a psychiatrist because, you know, things take time and she's not in a fit state to have jumped onto this one sooner, you know? Now, unfortunately for Amelia and her denial of the Babadook, uh, she starts to see him too. Da, da, da. He's, he's skittering around in the corners. Um... The Mr. Babadook book that she tucked away is now out in the open again, except now there's uh, more sections to the book where it shows her killing her pet and killing her child and then eventually killing herself Mm -hmm. because that's what the Babadook do. So she doesn't like that. She tears the book up. She burns the book. That'll show. Uh, tries to report it to, to the police. But, you know, how are you going to, you know, report to the police? Uh, hey, I burned up this book that was definitely sent to me by a stalker. But it was, it, the book was real, I promise. You know, the, the police are not really receptive to this one. Yeah, they don't So they she don't ends up going back home. They there, but they really don't take her very seriously. Initially, they even do laugh at her. A little bit. Two of the more uh, immature dudes in the back. But, you know, they, they go home and Sam, the child, he's really not feeling it. He's not having a good time because now he's worried about his mom. There's, they've had a few conversations where he's like, I really don't like this medicine. It's making me sick. And she is in a bad state and not feeding him. So, you know, medicine on an empty stomach thing. He's having a bad time. She's having a bad time. Uh, she hallucinates a whole bunch of cockroaches coming out from behind her fridge. So she ends up throwing all their food away because she thinks it's contaminated. You know, it's uh, child services comes in and, you know, it's it's a really tense moment. Tension is high and no one's getting any sort of relief from this. And finally, um, the Babadook cometh and he ends up possessing our main character. Uh, Amelia is now just a uh, bad guy, Amelia. She goes, she kills the dog. She uh, is ready to threaten her son up until the neighbor comes over. And then she tries, instead of threatening her son outright, she tries to sneakily get him down into the basement where the Babadook is hiding. But, um, and now here's where some people I think might get like some mistakes going in here or confusion because the Babadook uh, is probably not literally living in the basement. I think it's more of a symbolic in the basement kind of situation. Because that's where she keeps all of her husband's stuff. Right. Well, in the, in specifically in the sense of Sam stabs her in the leg to get away from her and then goes into the basement. And I could, I can see some people being like, well, that's uh, where the Babadook said to bring the boy here to me. I don't think that's 
quite the thing. Uh, is yeah. is she trying to get him into the basement, or is that just where he runs to because that's where he set his traps for the monster? No, that's what I'm saying is because when she was in the basement and she met her husband. Oh right, right. I forgot about that scene. In the my basement. bad. My bad. Yeah. Uh, which I also should have mentioned, uh, the Babadook appears to her as an apparition of her dead husband, yeah, and then, saying to bring him the boy. Yeah, and then it makes her watch him die again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is super which is cool of awful. it to do. Yeah, his head gets yeah. cut in half. Cleft in twain, as it were. As it were. As it were. Uh, but these, uh, these Looney Tunes booby traps that Sam set up earlier uh, work out, and he manages to subdue his mom enough to tie her down and make a heartfelt plea to her and ends up purging her of the Babadook. There's the vomit moment, you know? Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, um, as it says, as it is written in the book of the Babadook, um, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Ah, damn. And, uh, you know, kid gets yoinked all the way back up the stairs. She goes up there and says, nah, you can't have my kid. I'll kill you if you try and touch my kid again. And they have this huge confrontation moment. We flash forward a couple of days and they seem to be doing... A whole lot better because they have directly addressed their grief and now locked it in the basement and said, you can stay there now. We acknowledge you, but you can live in the basement. And we'll feed you worms. And they're they're having a birthday party on Sam's actual birthday for the first time in seven years. Which he is the seven child, years old. <laughs> the child service workers are a little confused at that one, but don't worry. Sam very blatantly says, my dad died on the way to the hospital for them to have me. Yeah. So I haven't had my birthday on my real birthday. Uh, this was not the cleanest um, spoiler section uh, I've done. I apologize about that. Do. I feel feel a little rambly. I always feel rambly if I don't have these things written out in front of me. So it's fine. We'll fill the spaces good. in. Nina wasn't even here. I went to the bathroom. bathroom. I could hear the whole thing in the bathroom. But anyway, uh, here we are. It's the Babadook. Okay. Now, so, wait, the spoiler section. Emma wanted to talk about something oh, specific. Okay. Uh, well, Emma might. I'm back. Emma? Oh, good, good, thank God. Um, <laughs> do you remember what thing it was? <laughs> I don't believe you said what nope. it was. Um, was it to do with a specific trigger warning? Um, I believe it was. I kind of went ahead and talked about everything relating to that, but okay. uh, the man in a hat is a common like sleep paralysis like oh, phenomena yeah, yeah. that people will see, and there are kind of stories about it from all over, and my family has like a personal like man in the hat story that's like really creepy that i won't share on the podcast because it's actually really personal and fucked up Mm yikes that's super Um, terrible yeah but uh yeah it's creepy and it was weird to kind of like watch the movie and be like oh this is literally like kind of pulling from that mythology i don't know that Mm -hmm. that's the right word but that story and the obvious kind of like hints and homages to it in the Babadook's design. Okay, so um, yes. it's real creepy. So here's the thing about that is there I, I have been able to find an awful lot of specific um, references of things that uh, inspired the design of the Babadook himself. And there's no mention of that. There's just a lot of talk about uh, old black and white horror movies, silent movies and stuff Which like that. Specifically, they show during this one, yeah. Yeah, specifically uh, a character named the man in the beaver hat in a movie called London After Midnight from 1927. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's a lot of like old uh, black and white and silent movies like shown and referenced in this movie. They do a little uh, Dr. Caligari moment at one point. 
even. Yeah. Um, but uh, which actually led to me writing the best note that I've ever written. It just says the kebabinet of Dukter Caligari. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very good. Very um, good. But uh, part of the original <laughs> idea, because of all that stuff, part of the original idea for this movie actually involved doing it in black and white. That was Jennifer Kent's original idea for how to do this. And she wanted to do it in, I think, more of like a, a very like old timey kind of look because she really likes the um, well, I mean, like the the Dr. Caligari style, like uh, old timey German, like expressionism style, where a lot of things can be very like heightened, very exaggerated just for the sake of expressing the thing that you're trying to express. And I understand why they didn't go for that, but I would love to see that version of this I, movie. <laughs> I love a film that wears its inspirations on its sleeve mm. the way that this one does. It's so obvious about it too. Yeah, I love it. Um, And one thing that I love about that is that like, uh, so with the hat man in mind, even if that weren't intentional, I like that because um, sedatives are a theme in this. Right, it's and definitely still in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it it's so a big beef that listeners may remember I had with Sinister was that the creature they decided to have be the antagonist did not fit with the themes of the movie, mm. nor was it well designed when it came to basically anything about it. This is like one of those where looking at the Babadook as it has become a pop culture icon, you may be led to believe that this is a similar situation um where they just kind of made a silly little guy um but if you take into account the expressionism um the like the storyline of dr caligari being like you know you know what i mean jeff knows what i, know I mean. What mean but the the storyline <laughs> of dr caligari involving like taking over sleepwalkers and um, that kind of like being forced to commit murders and that kind of thing being worked into the Babadook as a character. Um, back when we watched Skinnamarink, I remembered people comparing Skinnamarink to the Babadook, and I was like, in what way? Because as far as I was, con as far as I knew, the Babadook was a very straightforward kind of possession haunting movie, which it is fairly um, with the themes that it has. But then we get to the scene where the Babadook is asking uh, Amelia to bring him the boy. And there's a distortion on his voice. Oh. And I was immediately rocketed back in. And then some of the scenes where she's like sleeping and she is, yeah, like it's sleep paralysis vibes. She is lying there. And it's that same like loss of control and dread as we're seeing weird shit <laughs> like around. Um, so I get it. I think obviously Skinnamarink is more experimental. It's doing and its thing less... way more than it's doing this. Yeah, but right. But I liked the scene. The, it did the things that I liked that Skinnamarink did, which was like the weird like entity trying to imitate humanity, slowly losing its grip on what humanity actually sounds like, which is very fun to me. It's just a yeah. horror gimmick. That's very mm -hmm. fun. Uh, but yeah. Um, since we did the spoiler synopsis, just really quick, I'd like to um, break down the grief metaphor before we get any sure. any further. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's go for mm. it. Um, so this is going to kind of read like another synopsis of the movie. Um, basically, um, grief works in a very specific way. Um, there are certain dates that you can be more sensitive towards, like when they come up, um, and 
Um, they It can manifest in how you react with other people, even in ways you don't mean to. And this movie does a really great way of showing that. Um, there's the way she interacts with her kid. She doesn't mean to treat him like he's the reason her husband died, but it's very clear that he has absorbed that in the way that he talks several, twice in the movie, he tells the story of his birth and he is, the first time he's very disconnected and you can tell that he blames himself. Um, and then the second time you c- there is acceptance there and you can tell that this is just a fact of who he is and how he was born. Yeah. Um, but it's affecting her work life. It's affecting how she, every little, as as the date of her husband's death comes around, people are inadvertently, not inadvertently, but they're reminding her. And she's like, why are you reminding me? I have moved on. I don't even mention him anymore, which... Um, is not what moving one of on the th- actually is. That's not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not how grief works. Just ignoring it will not help, which is another like part of this like Babadook thing, is that to to kind of live with it, you do have to let it in and you have to the Babadook is the book is very upfront about the fact that like he can be a friend to you, quote unquote. Yeah. That's like the early on before there's any of the scary stuff, yeah. there's this promise that eventually the scary stuff will be over. And even when you know that, it's hard to deal with that. But my favorite parts are um the fact that it gets worse around the date of, the fact that all of this ramps up as we get closer to the date it actually happens, the fact that when you are getting closer to that date, it feels like you can feel like you are reliving that moment, which she does like two or three times during this movie. Yeah. Once most obviously when the Babadook basically makes her watch it, grief can like force you to observe these things. And then my second favorite thing that happens is when she's in her possessed by the Babadook moment. Um, is it her husband's mom that lives next door? I think she's just I, got a the, I just thought it was the neighbor. I'm pretty sure she's Okay, just a the way that she talked about her husband. I just assumed that they've lived there a while. Super yeah. familiar. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they've lived there over seven years now, just for the kid. I took it to be that they've lived there okay. the whole since time. it was also the husband's house yeah. area stuff. Yeah, that was kind of right. the impression I got. But when she she comes up and is like in the middle of this Babadook possession moment, she is reached out with to with genuine concern and in a way that like everyone else is reaching out feels exasperated, feels frustrated, feels like when are when are we are worried about you, but it's starting to affect us, which is super valid of them as well like i'm not gonna say that they aren't valid for for even cutting her off if she's refusing to deal with grief the way that they have to because their kids are getting hurt because she refuses to deal with it but when someone who she's been shutting out finally gets through to her in a genuine way the babadook possession hits pause you can find breakthrough to start to find that relief and relief doesn't come just like in one expulsion it's a lot of small steps And you can tell that by the end of the movie, I'm really glad they didn't end it before where they ended it. I'm glad that they showed this like new section where she's putting in genuine effort. I loved the scene where she he's like, hey, can I come down? And she's like, no, you go wait outside. You will. I will tell you about this when you're older. I will tell you about grief and what I experienced by your father dying I won't take it out on you anymore but I'm also not going to burden you with it you can join me in this experience of going down to the basement with my husband's things on the day he died and taking a second to just ball my fucking eyes out 
and then getting my shit together. When you can handle it. When you can handle it. And I really, really like that. Um, Emma had me watch a show called Shrinking on Apple TV. Let's go. And there's multiple characters going through grief. We have a character who has Alzheimer's who's grieving the functionality of his body. We have a character who has Parkinson's, not Alzheimer's. Oh, Parkinson's, my bad. Um, He has Parkinson's. We have um, a character whose mother died and uh, her father, whose wife obviously died. And the character with Parkinson's says to the, it gives the others like his like way that he deals with his grief, which is to put on a really sad song wallow in it just absolutely wallow in it for that duration of that song and then be done for that day let yourself grieve let yourself really stew in it and feel all of those emotions and not push them down but like take control of it and honestly that feels like what this character is doing at the end of Babadook and I thought that was really cool but yeah that's about that's about it for my like Nina's grief synopsis tm I feel like a lot of what this movie is saying can be summed up pretty briefly just in two specific moments from the movie, right? It's the feeding at the worms, which is just emphasizing the fact that grief is a thing that you have to feel kind of actively. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't just like let it happen to you. You have to sort of be intentional with it if you're going to actually get through it. And also just this one line that the neighbor says at one point where she is talking to uh, Samuel about her Parkinson's that she has. And uh, and she says he wanted to know. So we talked about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, how about that? How about that? (laughs) How about the idea that kids kids can take it actually sometimes if you. They have to. If the thing has happened, you cannot try and shield them from it because it has happened. There's no way around the fact that the kid's dad is dead. Not talking to him about it is only going to make him feel like it's his fault. And no matter what you tell him from know. you've given him the impression that you're blaming him. Mm -hmm. So like by not talking to him about it, she's leaving him with that as his only assumption that he can make, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's by just being honest with him, just talking to him about it as though it is a thing that happened to the both of them the way that it is, is the way that you approach that. It's kind of yeah. like we talked about yeah. a bit on the, the Shining episode. Like kids, kids just have a better idea of what's going on than you think they do. You mm-hmm. can't ignore that. You can't act as no. though they can just move and through I, the world and not perceive it. <laughs> I think a lot of adults ignore it because... It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient, it's and also, like, the kid may have noticed something or have thoughts on something, like, that make you feel, like, they, you just want to, you just want to be in denial. As long as you don't have the kid say to your face, I feel like you're blaming me for dad dying, then you can pretend that the kid doesn't know that that's what's going on. Yeah. You know? You can pretend all of that because that's something that I know is a problem with me and my parents is that like the moment that I, they know, they have told me they know that they fucked up in some aspects. The moment that I, the child, acknowledge that they fucked up, they don't want to talk about it all of a sudden. They get defensive. It's like, I would like to talk about this. We both know that this happened. You're the only one who doesn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because as long as we don't talk about it, you can pretend that I don't know. Yeah. And that doesn't And that's kind of how I feel. Actually, it is. But... No, actually, it just makes it worse. 
mm-hmm. just like in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of makes all further discussion of the movie feel pointless, honestly. Now that we've got all that out, it's like, what else I is I want to talk about the masturbation scene. Yeah, actually. Okay, actually, sure. it's an important Let's scene. Let's talk about the masturbation scene. Yeah. I think, and I was noting this a lot when I was watching like the earlier parts of the movie last night, of a lot of the signs of kind of depression that the movie was like subtly pointing towards. Mm-hmm. Subtly and not so subtly, but I thought it was interesting that they included a masturbation scene because um, back in ye olden days when women had mania is what it was like officially called. um, Basically, doctors would just give them like dildos and they're like. Like work it out, masturbate it out, masturbate about it, and maybe yeah. you'll feel better. Yeah, maybe this will help out. And so I just, I just thought it was really interesting that in a movie that was is very much kind of like a metaphor for like struggles with grief and depression and things. They explicitly have kind of like the scene of the main character masturbating, um, and I was like, huh, how about that? Yeah. I feel like I thought that was interesting too. I feel like it's a really important scene, like fully unironically. I'm not making a joke here. I think that's one of the oh, more no. important scenes in the movie, actually. Because, like, mm-hmm. number one, it's kind of really driving home the whole like you know she really doesn't have a moment for herself thing that the movie mm-hmm. spends an entire hour of its runtime establishing for us. But also, like, I. A a big part of the reason that I think this movie doesn't hit for a lot of people is because a lot of the people who watch horror movies are dudes, and dudes do not know how hard it is to be a mom. Yeah, because when you look, really is about that. Right, this movie is about the difficulties of single motherhood more so than it is about anything other than grief. Actually, right, like the. And, and the way that it shows the difficulty of it, number one, Essie Davis's performance here is, once again, I'm saying incredible because she shows the balance of her love for this kid versus her frustration with him so fucking well. Very, oh my very God. well. It makes the kid more tolerable yeah, by comparison. Because you can see she really does love him. She's not just putting up with him because he's there. She cares. She really does. It's just that she also can't sleep a wink at night and she doesn't have a moment for herself. And how do you live under those conditions? And that, mm-hmm. I think, because there's there's a certain amount uh, of the movie's energy that it puts toward uh, telling us about her loneliness her readiness to try and move on, maybe uh, acquire herself another partner. She's got this guy at work that she's kind of like flirting with a little bit and stuff. And it seems like he's into her as well. And it shows that like, she really wants to be able to just go for it and do something, but she can't. And she's also mm-hmm. got the like, you know, the physical loneliness. Not it's It's not just that she's horny and doesn't have time to crank it. It's that, she's actually she's she's got the loneliness on multiple levels and that just happens to be one Mm -hmm. that you can sort of alleviate by yourself if you have two minutes for it but she doesn't even have she doesn't for it i just i i feel like that scene really hammers those points home really really well that one does and then another scene that really stuck out to me is when she does get two minutes alone to herself and she goes out and quote unquote does what we were practicing self say practice is practicing self-care but like when you are and i've been in like this it's survival mode you are in survival mode 
practicing self-care feels more like just glazing over yeah you don't feel actually relaxed rested you don't feel like you're enjoying yourself you go through the motions of doing whatever it is that used to make you happy and it really just draws attention to the fact that you're not happy. Yeah, yeah, and I love the way that that scene is played. The way she's like, mm-hmm. she like you just said, it's just glazing over. She's just sitting there. She's going through the motions of going and getting herself a little treat, getting her ice cream and stuff, and it shows mm-hmm. her it's just so sitting. Sad. Yeah, the way that it shows her just it was the sitting most alone on her bench, scene. and she's just in this what like big ass. It looks like she's in a mall or something. Like a mall? It's just this empty yeah, white world wall that she's sitting in front of. And she's just sitting alone on this empty white bench, just kind of looking around at the world around her as though it's all strange and unfamiliar to her. And then she goes home to her black house. That was the scene that broke me. That was the one that fucking broke me. Because, like, I I just, I have been there and I'm happier now. And in that moment, I was just like, I just want this woman to be happy. I just want her to be okay. Have her ice cream and enjoy it, too. Like... Jesus Christ. That's why the end of the movie is, like, though this is a downer movie and it takes away from my, like, overall, like, rating, I, that's another reason I'm just so happy the movie ends where they decided to end it. By letting her be happy, by letting her start Mm -hmm. to heal and us see that it's, like, a genuine healing and happiness. Yeah. That's so fucking important. Yeah. Um, I like... Uh, when I was watching, I was expecting the co-worker to play a bigger role in the movie yeah. than mm. he did. I thought he'd come back again. And I'm glad he didn't, <laughs> kind of, yeah. because that would be the classic, like, oh, the man steps in and saves right, the day yeah. or whatever, um, which I really don't think is needed, especially in God, themes no. kind of about grief, as we talked yeah. about, and single motherhood exactly, yeah. and, like, all this other stuff. Um, it's nice from, like, an ancillary point of view to be, like, when you're thinking of the story of these two in a broader context. Oh, maybe like down the line now that she's being a like a little more emotionally healthy. Like if she does get into a relationship, maybe there's that guy and like he's, he was kind of there for them and maybe that's something she can pursue further down the line. But I'm glad like in the context of the movie that didn't happen. Um, Additionally, I would like to talk about, something I never talk about with movies, and that's sounds. Mm. Mm. Um, and Noah, I know you have thoughts about sounds as well. In I this movie. love the sounds in this movie. Um, it really stood out to me at the end, um, or towards the end, where she's in the bedroom, and for one, like her and her son are on the bed, and the butt bed is kind of getting like thrown around and like mm-hmm. rocking. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, no sound there or, like, no music or anything hyping it up. It was just the sounds of the bed rocking. And it made it feel, like, more like it was just a real thing. And that mm-hmm. was creepy. And I specifically had the thought while that was happening because at first my brain was like, this is weird that I'm just hearing this noise. Because in any other horror movie, there'd be, like, a lot of, like, buildup and, like, musical tension uh-huh. and all of this stuff happening. And then additionally, when she is facing the darkness and her husband steps out and is talking to her and then his head gets like slashed in half um, and then she's just kind of like wailing. Um, Another thing happens where it quickly like shows the darkness again and 
the husband's body just like quickly gets pulled back into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And again, it's very fast. There's no music or anything. Um, and again, my I was like, if this happened in another horror movie, that would be played for a scare. But yeah, in this, it like felt a violin scream happening. Yeah, where it would. And this, be like it felt loud. Much more kind of like in a play where if you have a character that like falls or something and they just kind of crawl like off stage so that they're not like a distraction to the stage. It mm. just felt very much like the body being removed from. So it's not a distraction of kind of the grief that's in the scene. Mm. Um, and the fact that they didn't play any like sharp violin or anything to make you like jump or get scared that the body was suddenly like taken back. Um, I thought was really interesting yeah. and cool. I thought there the the moments that they chose to have music and more importantly, when not to have music, I thought were really well. Yeah, done. It's like it's one of its strengths is that it's not afraid to be to feel a little anticlimactic every now and then. I mm-hmm. was you know? actually going to mention that like, yeah. the fucking com- almost comedic effect of every time she puts the book out of sight, the music stops. Yeah. I love, I actually was <laughs> I about to mention that. that. Like, I love that. Because the use of again, music in this movie is so intentional. Something, and then something the cutting, brief, mm. out of sight, out of mind with the music in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's great i wasn't gonna say anything like that i just liked the the music and the way it's used <laughs> because there's like very little music music in yeah. this movie there's a lot of mm-hmm. soundscape work but there's only a couple of times when songs are featured and almost without fail they are chopped uh Fast. they do not reach a good conclusion yeah. they're you know they are there to punctuate that this is a scene that is not going to end the way that you think it is. Mm. And it's just kind of mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so there's a, there's a moment when Amelia wakes up because she hears a, a distorted voice saying there's someone in the house. Yeah. And we of course are worried right. because we're like, is this like, why did she hear that? Is this like the Babadook? Is this a sixth sense thing where she's like, someone's in my house? But she just happened to overhear Sam down on the phone with the neighbor saying that there's someone in the house they think uh, and they want to come over and spend the night over there, blah, 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 which is something she specifically told him not to do. You know, Do not call anyone. Don't tell anyone that we're not doing well. We're doing fine. That kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And... No, that okay. So that scene has some great stuff going on too, because there's a lot of whispered voices echoing around. But there's the scene when the wardrobe falls down, and you are led to believe that it fell on the child. Mm, yeah, and he instead he's under the bed. There is a sound that sounds like Sam saying "mum" being played in the background on a loop that you can just hear "mum, mum, mum." But it's like kind of like fuzzy and it's a little echoey. And then because I was like, well, maybe it just sounds like that. But then over the next like two minutes, the music is made of a lot of chopped up vocal bits. Oh, I didn't even catch in this like, oh, it's 
<laughs> Finally, I got music thing. Yeah, you caught me on a weekend. I'm actually woefully unprepared. So, no, this, so I loved really cool. I wonder, that section. I wonder if uh, on the repeat they ran it through like a tape delay or something like that. So as you hear it, you're hearing it like degrade with every playing. Mm, I don't know that, that so much no? because okay. he doesn't. I don't think he actually says anything. Right. I think it's just in the soundtrack. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying like in the oh, making okay. of the soundtrack. I wonder if they did that by running a tape delay. Maybe. So then, like every time you hear it, the signal has like degraded a little bit. I'm, I'm not thinking that because it's I possible. think it maybe sounded like that because, as previously mentioned, I didn't hear this. I didn't notice. But I just I know think that's that all cool. the sounds sound cool fucked thing. up and discordant. Yeah. Once extra voices get layered in there, right. and it's very fun. And I am a fan of when people actually use music to show poor mental health in a decent way rather right. than just oh it's you could tell they're fucked up because limp biscuits playing in their bedroom <laughs> no but this is a call out for color out of space uh yeah burzum 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 uh yeah so the the music in this movie is may is uh is composed by Jed Kurzel, I think is how it's pronounced. And this is actually the same guy who did some music for an episode of, oh, an episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. And also I need to watch that. 2019's Overlord, which we covered previously on this podcast. I do love Overlord. I miss Overlord. I haven't thought about that movie in forever. I cannot manage to find out what episode of... That movie probably shouldn't be the kind of movie that elicits warm fuzzies when I remember it exists, but it does. It's, I just really like Overlord. It's not, I feel like we all thought it was better than it actually was. I like Overlord. The only people... I, I liked I've seen it twice, I but I feel like we all liked it better than it deserved. No, the only people who I've seen that really hated it, hated it, are people who are like, actually, black people weren't in the regular army. They were in black we people. Re I remember oh, we boy. read and the reviews, yeah. and the only yeah. bad reviews were people being yeah, racist. It's, it's neutral positive on all fronts, except for racists who are like, my World War II movie about Nazi zombies isn't historically accurate. No, I want my Nazi zombie movies to be historically accurate. <laughs> Anyways, the Babadook. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that the guy who played... Sorry, speaking of Overlord, I, I am now realizing that one of the guys in Overlord is also the guy who plays Louis in the new interview with the vampire. Um, huh. the, the vampire who gets interviewed is Louis. Oh my god, he's fact. Brad Pitt? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even uh, know there was a new interview with the vampire coming out. Did I miss yeah, that? Yeah, no, they... <laughs> It's a it's a TV show, um, and oh, okay. they changed a lot of things for the better, like making it more explicitly gay. Because uh, in the book and in the original movie, uh, Lestat and Louis don't kiss, and in this one they kiss a lot. It definitely feels <laughs> in the movie, just from the way Tom Cruise acts. It definitely feels like they do, but like it's not shown. right, but. It, this one, they're a lot more openly gay. Uh, Lestat is more openly romantically jealous of Louis getting with other men. Good. Louis is openly like, you're a European white man who is bisexual, and I am an explicitly gay man of color in Louisiana. Our experiences are not the same, you piece of shit. Um, so yeah, all in all, it, it looked really good from everything I saw. I haven't, I haven't watched the whole thing, but... 
it's fun. Anyway, and one of the actresses in Overlord 2018. Well, how about that? Babadook <laughs> is hard to talk about without being upset, so I'm glad we're talking about it. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's our that's our best cozy horror recommendation is Overlord. <laughs> <laughs> totally cozy. Yeah, it's cozy as mm. hell. It's almost as cozy it's a, as Friday it's the 13th a... Part 3. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah. Or um, my favorite cozy horror wreck, Annihilation. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, though, like I watch it every day, <laughs> like 100%. <laughs> Back to Babadook. Back to Babadook. <laughs> Please, yes. Back to Babadook. Mr. Duke. I'm, I'm curious Don't if you have this, this same um, thought, Nina. But okay. considering how much the Babadook has existed in internet culture... Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised by how little the Babadook physically was in the He's movie. He's not in much. Um, There's like two parts, three parts. So the Babadook is gay joke um, originated from Netflix accidentally putting the movie Babadook in their pride like list when they like you know they have their like sections where they're like for you and then they had mm-hmm. a like LGBT. get hype for pride yeah. lgbt movies and the babadook was under it um so i knew that the babadook being a gay icon was entirely arbitrary and there was literally nothing in the movie to support it um yeah. and i also knew that every single art piece i've seen of the babadook that is part of this like gay parody joke is always of his pop-up book form. So Mm -hmm. in my heart of hearts, I knew that you don't see this motherfucker because if you saw him even for a frame, that's what people would be drawing, but it's always the pop-up book version. So I kind of didn't expect to see him very much. I, um, you do see him for a frame though. There's a a lot of stills of this man. Yeah. But they're not the type of thing that like you can characterize or it's um, not as fun. or to Nina no. blatantly ignoring the face I posted in chat. He's not Pennywise. No, uh, yeah, no, he, he's not a guy he's doing a things really. Fucking freak. In the same no. way. He is just a little fucking freak. Yeah, no, yeah. he's not a guy doing things. So I guess he's got the Lady D fingers though. He does have I the feel Lady like D people fingers. People don't talk about that. He does. Well, now we've talked about it. Yeah. Yep, there <laughs> we go. It's out. It's out. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like those and Lady are, D when I feel like those are intended to be like a little bit of a Freddy Krueger reference, don't you? Uh, there's a Just lot a of things. Bit. Like because there's there's also, so many references to freaky so long fingers are not cool. Things. It just feels like well, because there's more themes of like sleeplessness, which is a big right, exactly. like nightmare thing. Yeah. So yeah, I can totally see that uh, and taking drugs to sleep and or whatever. Right. So and, I do and I do into feel the it. Sleep paralysis monster aspect of it and. Yeah, I I definitely can and like the the scenes of her falling into her bed. Um, I like those. Also, I really they're like a little those. bit hokey, but I like them. There ho- there's a couple things that are hokey in this in this movie. Two things: the falling into bed scene is super hokey. Yeah. No, three things: I falling, into, falling bed into bed scenes are hokey. Scene. Uh, kid falling out of the treehouse has been hokey been hokey joked on many bit, times. Yeah. Uh, and then the scene where her husband's head gets chopped in half. Why is that what they went with for the imagery? I like, I think that's actually kind yeah, of funny. Was... <laughs> Honestly. I was like, from a car crash? Literally same. Right. I was like, I saw the lights coming and I was like, okay, so in Bly Manor, there's a character who 
haunts someone and was also run over by a car and their haunting visage is like the 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 like headlights reflected in their glasses right. so you can't see their that, eyes anymore that is cooler and that yeah that's kind of like my gold standard for car crash dead yeah. uh dead axes um, thanks for the glowing eyes there mike we appreciate it <laughs> thanks mike we always love your glowing eyes love it, love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the whole head getting sliced in half a la ghost ship was not really what I was expecting. Um, and it did kind of take the wind out of my sails a little bit. I will concede that that one mm. is not executed as well as it could have been. But I kind of like how unreal it looks. That's because true. Because that suits it is the like, scene, doesn't it? It's supposed to be sort of yeah. a weird, like, kind of... Uh, liminal's the wrong word but like sort of it's in a space that's not a space yeah it's surreal that's what that's exactly what i was looking for yeah it's it's got that like surreal kind of to it and i feel like for something to be it it, would have been so fucked up for it to be like jarringly realistic right for it to for for his death to be getting portrayed in a grittier way it could have been a way more fucked up scene but i like the fact that it doesn't feel like it's an actual thing Mm -hmm. i like that it almost doesn't hit i feel like there's something about that that kind of like makes that scene right in a way that it might not have been otherwise maybe this is just me being always too happy to let things be the way that they are so frequently but i i don't know there's something about that that i like i feel like it takes a little too much effort for me to explain it away into something that i'm happy with but i can accept it as like she doesn't actually remember the moment of so it's just like the worst thing that she can imagine having happened Mm. yeah kind of a thing because like it's exactly like the ghost ship comparison is is relevant because that can't happen (laughs) what happens in ghost ship can't happen um but we love to imagine it happening that's why the scene exists so because our brains are gross and weird and do that kind of thing so to kind of be like yeah that's not how he died but in my head like that would be a really terrible way to watch my spouse die so like that's what i see um is an interesting way to to do it. So, and I also feel like it would be much harder to portray the actual thing. Um, Most definitely, obviously, Most definitely, yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. I want to shout out the creepy moment in the movie, okay. or the mm. creepiest moment in the movie, um, where the Babadook does like kind of physically manifest, and we get the best look of mm, them. Yeah when um main character is in bed at night and then the door like slightly opens and then you just see this figure kind of like shuffle into the corner of the room for Mm. one terrifying that was really creepy um and then also as it just kind of crawls up onto the ceiling over her and it's like so many frames are kind of like taken out of the movement Mm -hmm. like the black and white stuff yeah it's so cool and creepy, and I liked it it's a lot. Very cool. I love the way that when they show him, he alternates between moving very slowly and really quickly. So he's mm-hmm. not only ever moving the one specific way. You know, it's not like the guy from Insidious, who's like almost never actually moving, but always out of breath when you see him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this uh, an awful lot better than that. Also, the way that this... The, I, I love the way that the, like, the look of the Babadook is most of the times that you see him, he may as well just be a pile of clothes. Oh, and they lean I into love this. that. Like they yeah. turn the light on and there's just the clothes on the mannequin in the corner there. And it's like, 
oh, I see how this pops into your brain in the dark. That's so simple. And then you combine that just with like the aesthetics from all the old black and white movies that uh, that Amelia's always watching. And it's like, well, oh, all right. If this is just a monster that the kid dreamed up, it's so easy to see where this idea came from. But then they I... also have all the deeper stuff. It's so good. It's so cool. I love that when they quote unquote start to defeat him, his clothes just start falling out of the sky. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's just running around here naked. <laughs> That's nothing but respect for my streaker gay icon. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, but yeah, no, I also love how, um, cause that's like when me and my brother were little, we used to like, um, share a room with bunk beds mm. every once in a while. Uh, and we weren't, we, we, we both had rooms with bunk beds. I usually slept with my little sister. I, and then he would be alone in a room with two bunk beds. Cause we didn't know, um, what the gender of the next baby was going to be. Uh. Um, so they bought bunk beds no matter what. And they were like, we'll figure out the, this out later. Um, but every once in a while, I, my brother and I'd be like, we're going to have a sleepover. And my parents were like, fine. Like, what could possibly go wrong? And I'll tell you what went wrong. It was us staying up all night telling each other ghost stories um, uh, yeah. about the man in the corner of the room TM. And it's like, if you have clothes on a chair, if you have clothes hanging up, like, it's really easy oh, to, like, see open faces in the dark. or anything, yeah which is another like skinnamarink adjacent thing. But I love how that extends into the daytime for this specific story. I love when she goes to the police officer, like the police department, and there's someone's fucking coat hanging up on the wall with the hat. And she's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) The Babadook is also here. Grief follows me wherever I go. Yeah, no, I loved I loved that. I loved just like the Babadook's fucking hat being at the police department. Yeah. Like, why would it be there? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you don't support the, the thin Babadook line that's keeping society intact. <laughs> oh, my God. Babadook is a cop, actually. <gasps> Nothing but respect for my Babadook. Uh, a cab assigned cop at Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> anyway. Do we want to know his notes? Let's know his notes. Let's, know, let's note these let's Noah's note notes. these leaked notes. I'm going to note them. That people have already seen. Uh, no, they only saw through the, like, they some of the early trigger warnings. They only saw the trigger warning of the worst fucking kid for the first 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, okay. So the, Noah the actual says, notes aren't. Noah says, can't wait to see if I still enjoy this the next time around. Um, boop, boop, boo. A lot of this is just talking about the kid yeah, sure. uh, being annoying. Noah says, I, I love the... he's a menace, a actually. Menace. A Noah menace says, I love the Babadook book so much. I also love the Babadook book. The Babadook. It, it really treads that line between scary book and children's book that you would actually find on a shelf Absolutely. pretty decently. Yeah. Um, especially with how it starts like a lot of times when there's a creepy book in these movies it's like why would you read this to a kid but the the book starts with like some maybe you will find a friend mr baba duke and then it starts to slowly get creepy and she stops reading it out loud when she sees how creepy it's getting right she does it right too late at that point yeah yeah she thinks that it's just a normal goth kids book Mm-hmm. It yeah. does remind me, um, both the Babadook's facial appearance and the art style in the Babadook book uh, remind me of Gerard Way of My Chemical oh, Romance. Oh, majorly, yeah. Um, yeah. Love, love you, Gerard, if you're out there listening right now. 
Um, <laughs> Noah says... Just on the off um, chance Gerard Way is listening to this podcast. Hi. <laughs> I wish they were. Hi, Gerard. <laughs> I wish they would. Um, Noah says... Um, I feel so bad for her. I can't imagine. This is sad. Are you okay with me reading this one? It's, it's long and It's the tone sad. of the episode, I think. I can skip it. It's about how I would rather fucking die than deal with what she was dealing with. That's the summary of the Honestly, yeah. I wanted to read uh, it <laughs> because uh, Noah notes that the kid is clearly neurodivergent, which I think is something that, like, in this movie... Kind of gets passed over as like, oh, he's just like his father. Well, guess what? Maybe his father was also neurodivergent. I, I think that's what the movie's um, getting at with all those lines, right? They wouldn't the say that. So a lot many of the people, ways. a lot of the people who knew the dad comment on how he spoke his mind a lot and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's hard enough to do on your own. But if you're like the neurotypical person in a couple that that like have a genetically like a genetic thing like autism that gets passed on on the father's side and you're the one without it you could like you were understanding of your husband who's an adult who has coping mechanisms right, yeah. and could have possibly taught those coping mechanisms to your kid yeah, or at least... but now he's gone yeah. <laughs> and you already would have to deal with a kid but now you have to deal with a kid you can't understand yeah. that's really rough and that makes me wish um, almost that they'd been more explicit about the kid being neurodivergent because then I feel like that plays into the specifics of the grief of losing a spouse when you're a parent right because it's like they don't there really was all of explicitly... this that we were getting into too together and now i have to tackle yeah. all of your shit by myself in addition to mine you know like i feel like that i makes feel the like theme it's bigger, almost i feel like it's really well implied personally right, i feel like she never has to look at the camera and say right. i can't believe i'm doing this without you i just i um, i wish it wasn't possible to watch the movie and not think about it and miss it you know a hundred percent yeah Noah says, that's the end of the internet. So true, Amelia. When, Amelia, when he has fucking poppers and she's like, where did you where did you fucking get those? And he's like, you got them for me on the internet. And she's like, mm-hmm, my, my bad. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, Noah says, Claire's kid is worse than Sam, honestly. She's a normal kid who's actually the worst, and I'm not going to say she deserved to get pushed out of the treehouse, but seeing as she just got a bloody nose, I'm going to say all's well that ends well. No, honestly, like actually, in that moment, <laughs> when, when that kid is tormenting Sam, saying you don't have a dad because you're, even your dad doesn't want yeah. you type shit, and it's like, you know what, no. She's way worse than I, he is for that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love that because it goes back to what we were saying about kids noticing things, even if you never talk to them about it directly. Yep. Because she is picking up what Claire is saying or not saying or implying, mm -hmm. and she's repeating that. If you have a sit down and chat with your kid, then... That, so that they actually understand why you're saying what you're saying. Maybe they won't get themselves into situations like that and repeat some really hurtful shit that is, you know, yeah. really hurtful. Yeah. Just like in Krampus, actually, which came out the same year. Kra yeah, just like in Krampus. I thought Krampus was 2015. Well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was right. <laughs> 2015. Shit, I sound like an idiot like four times in this episode. God damn it. Loser. Oh, no. Noah says... When she gets the Babadook book back the second time and it's got the explicit stuff about her killing the this shit, uh, she says, okay, but like the fact that to make the Papa Babadook book work, she would have to be like pulling the tabs and shit is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. 
Obviously, I feel like it's in like, this scene, she's there like, oh, like no, oh no, what will happen? Pulling on the little tabs and making <laughs> and, like, little making paper the... her go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think at that point it's implied that it's like supernatural book bullshit, um, especially in a couple of the scenes where like there are sharp movements that don't feel like they're programmed into like like they aren't the way the paper would move. But I love the mental image of her, like, physically pulling the pull tabs to make her kill the fucking (laughs) shit in the fucking book. Oh, my God. Uh, Noah says, oh, Noah says the messing with your perception about of when she's awake or not is great. Having Sam come up sleepwalking, but it's actually her that's asleep. I love that. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. That was that was like a, it's talking about Nightmare and Freddy Krueger and everything. That's another good example of like, I feel like there are definitely like nods to it because there are similarities. Yeah. Noah says the Babadook rolling up on a fucking dolly is so funny, but I'm sitting here, still sitting here shitting myself. <laughs> he does like move like they put him on like a fucking hoverboard. Oh, yeah. He just like he rolls forward and you're waiting. He's wearing heels. A- another moment where the movie lets you down and it works for it, where he comes up and you're expecting a huge jump and then his fingers just go click yeah, and open like, up a little bit. And... It's not an adrenaline dumping rush. No. So the tension doesn't go away. But it does get you. You're still just like, uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Noah says, the fucking flip of how I feel about this kid from, from the front end to, to the end here. Uh, he's such a good actor, honestly. The moments where he's caring and nice are so strong. It's just that he's... Um, he like he just plays a really annoying kid. I said that he's either ass, ass at acting as an annoying kid or he's good enough at being an annoying kid. Okay, it was hard I, for me to interpret yeah. that. Um I think the I think he played a really good annoying kid. As someone who's run a daycare, that's what annoying kids act oh, like. And yeah. I felt myself <laughs> getting stressed at the beginning because um Part of the reason that I don't want kids is like I love interacting with good kids, um, but interacting with kids like that is really stressful for me because there's literally no guarantee that they'll ever stop. You can do everything right, and sometimes a kid just needs resources yeah. that you don't know what they are. You can try a bunch of different stuff and not get through to them. It's the same with adults, but with kids, it's especially hard. Um and that stresses me out. There were days where I just could not get a kid to calm down. I was trying literally everything, and I almost cried with relief Ooh. when their parent came to get them. So. Mm. so you're worried you'd get a bad one? I'm worried that I would create a bad one and not know how to fix it. And you would know the whole time <laughs> and it so, was your fault. <laughs> exactly. And so I will simply not have a child. Yeah. Easier that way. Um, on the subject mm-hmm. of the kid being a good actor... They actually were looking for a slightly older kid at first. They were talking to like eight or nine year old kids and they kept finding in all of their auditions that they didn't act. Um, I think the, the phrase that they used annoying no, enough the phrase was that that they used in this description here is that they weren't like they didn't come across innocent enough. They came across too knowing was the word that they used. Mm. Mm. And then they got like uh, an audition tape. They decided to maybe try a younger kid and they got a tape from this kid and they were like, yo, that's pretty neat. And they sift through a bunch of tapes from other like six and seven year old kids. And this was just the one who did the best. That makes sense. Um, I feel like six year olds are the point 
like a lot of six year olds that I've interacted with, because I my daycare was um, like old enough to be away from their parents for a couple hours up to four years old. Um, and I have babysat kids who are like six to 12. And the six year olds are the ones where they're old enough to understand you, but young enough that they still take you seriously. <laughs> um, mm, yeah. And they are also old enough to say the darndest fucking things, which is my favorite age. <laughs> um, that's the kid that like just says the darndest fucking things at work. He is six um, going on seven. So this is exactly the Babadook kid's age. And so watching this kid and hearing the shit that he was saying, I was like, yeah, this is how six year olds are. <laughs> yeah. They understand more than you think. Definitely. Um, it's almost like that. They the have a lot more to say than you think. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And Noah, that brings me to Noah's last note, which I think falls in with this theme. Uh, he says, I love that they've managed to get past the worst of it, but they're still being just a bit off to the child service people. I broke her nose in two places. Yeah, man, that's a great thing to tell them. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a kid can be a little bit fucked up and not need to be taken away from his mom. Yeah. The fact, Kids like... Kids say the darndest things. They, sure they do. do be saying shit. Anyway, that was the Babadook. Um, do we know what we're watching next week? Uh, we do. We decided it at the same time that we decided on doing the Babadook. I just got to scroll up and see what it was. Thank God Jeff remembers because I did not. I Wasn't it my... Chucky? Oh, it was Chucky. 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 Yeah. Happy Pride. We're watching Child's Play. Play. Child's Play. Gender fluid. It's, it's Pride in July. Pride in July. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just keeping it well, going. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking it's just like March of the Zombies. Exactly. This is what we do. We stretch things out. Yeah, we're getting past Gay Pride. We're getting into Gay Wrath Month, and that's where Chucky exactly. comes in. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, yeah. so true. I'm looking forward to it. Um, until then, um, I've been Nina. You can find me at Nina Wolverina on Twitter and also on Tumblr at Nina Wolverina with a three where the E is. Um I'm not super active on Twitter for the rest of the month. I'll be more active in July. Uh, I have a book coming out. So if you want to know about that, I will be posting all of the like info you need to know if you want to decide to buy the book or not starting in July. Uh, other than that, uh, other people are here and you can find them. Noah, you can find me as Bubba to Bad, B-U-B-B-A-D-A-B-A-D, Twitch, Twitter, Insta, Letterboxd. If... Uh, <laughs> You didn't get my rating for this movie spoiled by Nina posting it in the server. I'm sorry. You can get it spoiled by following me on Letterboxd, where you will see it a full week at least before the the episode comes out. <laughs> uh, I'm Jeff. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wubba Dab, on Tumblr at What Is It You Pray For, and on Letterboxd at The Fakest Fan. And I'm Emma, also known as Emma Panada. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at Emma Panada. I'm also writing a TTRPG called All the Witches. You can find information about that at All the Witches underscore on twitter.com and uh i hope you had a great time thanks all so much for listening and hanging out with us we really appreciate you we'll see you next time for child's play goodbye, goodbye. Ooh. Ooh.